Welcome everybody to a new episode of Pitch to Contact. Hope you all enjoyed your American Thanksgiving. To the Canadian listeners, well, hope you enjoyed another week of living. Uh, first and foremost, before we get into this podcast, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Ryan Bronson for our intro and outro music. His song Energy is fe- featuring Jaron Benton, and it's part of his new album called Illuminate. So give that a listen. Uh, go to your whatever music streaming outlet, Spotify, Apple Music. Give him a follow on Twitter as well. I am underscore Ryan Bronson. Really great stuff. A great up and coming rapper. Um, really, really great music. Now, for episode eight of Pitching to Contact, I am joined as always by my better half, my co-host, Pete Horner. How's it going, buddy? Ah, uh, yeah, man. You know, I'm honestly just all full on that Thanksgiving dinner because, you know, like the Americans, we just be eating way too much. Uh-huh. I wouldn't know. I was just sitting around watching football. You were watching Canadian football this week, which honestly made no sense to me. Expl- like, Explain this to the viewers a little bit, Richard. You were watching Canadian collegiate football. How is that even a thing? Uh, well, it's actually kind of funny that you bring up collegiate football because uh, the guest we have coming on right now, um, he's a recent graduate of the, uni- of the University of Alabama, and he's also the president of the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network, Justin Volman. His football team is pretty good. Justin, how's it going, man? Welcome to the episode. Good. Appreciate you guys having me on today. So, um, Justin, you probably know nothing about Canadian collegiate base, uh, football. You, you probably don't know much either. But I'm a Western University alum. So every year we have something called the Vanier Cup, which is essentially the two best teams in uh, Canadian collegiate football. They go at it. And that's the only Canadian collegiate football game that I watch all year. That's assuming that Western's playing in more often than not than not they do play in this game because they're really good at football and i was watching the game on saturday and they were getting blown out and i was crying um and it didn't go too well but anyways justin um do you watch any alabama football um i used to uh sort of gotten away from from football um in the past couple of years but i did go to my fair share of iron bowls and uh rooted for, for Alabama football while I was an undergrad. Have you ever heard um, T- Tim Tebow talk about Alabama football fans on ESPN? Because he totally sound like one of those Alabama Alabama football fans right now. Yeah, Alabama football fans are, are crazy. Um, they're, they're some of the most passionate fans in the, in the country, and the town definitely is a whole different atmosphere when uh, it's a home, home Alabama football game. Yeah, that's not what I heard from Tim Tebow. He actually said the exact opposite, that you guys show up like halfway through the game and then you get pumped up when your team's up by like 50. Uh, I don't know about that. The, the population of the, of the city of Tuscaloosa pretty much triples on game days. Maybe people are a little tailgating a little bit too hard and are a little late getting into the stadium, but um, there's definitely a Alabama football second to none. It's like a religion for, for the people here in, in Alabama. Justin, can I ask you just an honest question? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so like at your time at uh, down in Alabama, I'm just kind of curious. Was there anything else to do down in Tuscaloosa other than root for football? Yeah, well, I mean, it is like pretty well located in the southeast, so it's in close proximity to like Atlanta, Nashville, Memphis, New Orleans. Um, it's like within three hours of all those major southeastern cities. Um, so that's pretty good. And there is some other good stuff around here, like. Uh, some of the food's pretty good in Tuscaloosa, as well as in Birmingham and its surrounding area. Um, there's definitely a lot of good food. Um, that's probably my favorite part. Um, I just love food, so 
uh, yeah, there's there's some other stuff to do, and uh, definitely it's nice being in close proximity to those those major southern cities. I, I love Nashville. It's it's definitely one of my favorite cities, and I really enjoy it there. Speaking of Nashville, Nashville definitely deserves an MLB team. And yeah, I've just never heard people say, yeah, we should go to Alabama for vacation. Other than Alabama football, I've never really heard of anything going on in Alabama. But I'm from Canada, so what can I really comment on that? Um, how's football in Bowling Greens, though? Um, I'm going to be honest. That's that's definitely a sore topic, considering we only average about two wins per season, being quite truthful. Yeah, what, what's there to do in uh, in Bowling Green? Nothing. Um, well, well fortunately, Justin, we have this thing called a, a top 10 collegiate hockey team that really rides us through the winter. But in general, like other than that, I mean, we have cornfields. <laughs> that's, that's about what we have here in Bowling Green. That sounds horrible. Like, what's yeah, there's not really a lot to do around here. I mean, it's a big time college town, which is really cool. So, like, there's a lot of like cool little like knickknacks around town and just like the culture is really cool. But other than that, like, in terms of stuff to do, there isn't much. Right. So let's just get back on track a little bit. Um, Justin, you're now the president of the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network. Um, but how did you actually first get your start in baseball? I know we talked um, actually last year at the winter meetings, and you said you were a big lacrosse guy. Um, and you, you actually said that basketball is your favorite sport at one point. So how did you get involved in baseball? And I guess why baseball? Sure. So um, I was raised a, a Red Sox fan in the middle of Yankee territory, and my dad would always have the Red Sox games on, and every year we would watch the playoffs, and it was just a really big part of my uh, my childhood and growing up. I mean, my my basement where my parents at, at the home where my parents live, uh, it's pretty much a, a Red Sox, Patriots, Celtics, Bruins memorabilia museum. I mean, just the amount of Red Sox in, in Boston sports memorabilia that my dad has is is crazy. He's definitely going to have a museum someday with all that stuff. But um, so just from a very young age, I, I just grew up a Boston sports fan and, um, and sort of just went from there. I unfortunately wasn't a, a good enough uh, baseball player to play beyond Little League, but um, I really enjoyed playing lacrosse throughout middle school and high school and played my freshman year here at Alabama with the club team and um, so I just always had a big love of sports and, um, wanted to work in baseball someday. And I actually started Alabama here as a, as a criminal justice major, as a freshman, and then realized I wanted to do something in sports and switched over. And, uh, it just, it's been full steam ahead into the sports industry from there. So, um, it's definitely been a, a great experience so far. Uh, um, just before we talk about your experiences in baseball, uh, Pete, I just kind of wanted to point out something that Justin just said. He said every year he and his family would just sit in front of the TV and watch Boston playoff games. So, like, I'm a Toronto sports fan. You're a Cleveland sports fan. We don't do that. What is that like? Just um, like, just like, yeah. Like, just, I, I would say, Richard, um, I'm going to be honest. Like, that's actually where part of the way I actually developed my love for the game of baseball was that one thing, especially in my family, which is a very sports driven family. Um, like my dad used to basically make me sit down and stay up late on school nights to watch like the Indians play the Yankees in the 2007 postseason, Like it, or like every Sunday, like every Sunday when I'm home, like yesterday, for example, it's a party because I'm home and we get to watch the Browns play, even though like most of the time that's not necessarily the best way you want to spend your Sunday. Um, 
but like in general though it's just like i don't know it's a really good family builder it's a really good culture builder i, I sports has that beautiful way of binding so many different things and just expressing those fibers in different ways so yeah um i'm sorry you guys don't do that up in canada though it's, it's not that it just our sports teams aren't good like it took 22 years for the jays to make the playoffs and now they're now in the playoffs again um, the Raptors have been good. Uh, the Leafs have been good the past couple of years, but before that, it's been like 10 years since they were in the playoffs. We have the Canadian Football League, but no one really watches that. Um, we have the Lacrosse League. I don't even know what it's called, and nobody really watches that either. So it's kind of it's kind of been depressing here. So kind of jealous of Boston fans. You got the Patriots, <laughs> the Red it's I don't mean to bring out a stereotype, Richard, but um, I'm kind of curious. Um, how like big in your region of Canada, at least? How big is hockey? Like, how seriously do you guys take hockey? Oh, it's huge. Like, it's it's pretty much the culture up here. Like now, basketball is starting to grow. Um, baseball is kind of, I'd say, like the third sport here, and it's starting to grow as well. But hockey just kind of dominates the market up here in Toronto. Um, but of course with the Raptors being good at basketball now, um, basketball is like growing really, really fast, but everybody here watches hockey. Like when, when it's playoff time, like it's, it's nuts. Like there are people on the streets watching hockey, like outside the arena. It's crazy because like, we don't get playoff sports like very often. And I mean, the Leafs haven't won a chip since like 1967. The Raptors have never won. It's been like 30 years since the Jays have won anything. So it's it's a struggle up here. And, I mean, Justin celebrates a championship parade every year over with Boston. Um, but, uh, getting back, again, a lot of tangents. Uh, getting back on track. Um, Justin, you started off in baseball with the Cape Cod League, right? After um, Alabama. Right? Uh, yeah, correct. It was still when I was with uh, – was, uh, it was actually right when I um, switched majors from criminal justice – Sports management. Um, I knew I was going to switch to a sports management major at the towards the end of my freshman year, and so I started looking for internships um, to fulfill that purpose. And so I looked at Cape League baseball teams because, uh, fortunately enough, my I've been going to the Cape League into uh, Cape Cod for since I was a child, a young child, and my family had actually just uh, bought a, a small cottage there after a lot of years going up there and, and staying in various hotels. So. Um, it, it was kind of uh, great timing, and um, I was able to get a, a job with uh, an internship with the Brewster Whitecaps. I actually was originally going to be one of their just general interns, and then the scout liaison intern that was supposed to be there left um, before the season started. And so they asked if anyone wanted to do it, and I jumped right for the opportunity. Um, and I'm glad I did because it was definitely a great experience and just furthered my, my desire to want to work in baseball and made a lot of great connections. Um, with people in the or, uh, with various organizations, my role was as scout liaison. So I was um, in between. Um, I was working directly in between the MLB scouts and the the Brewster Whitecaps. And so it was a really really great opportunity just to make a lot of great connections and met a, met a lot of interesting people and just learned a lot. So that's really just was my first sort of step in in towards my career in the baseball industry. That's actually really cool, Justin, because like as a aspiring collegiate coach in myself, like I, I know that um jobs in the Cape Cod don't necessarily come out of the blue too often. So like for you to actually start in the Cape Cod and start working there, that's actually that's that's a privilege. That's really cool. 
Um, if you don't mind me asking though, could you like go, can you go, I'm actually, me just kind of nerding out a little bit. Can you kind of go a little bit more into detail about like what you actually did with Brewster? I'm just like, I'm sorry. I'm just like really nerding out right now. Sure. So each uh, team with the Cape Cod League has sort of scout liaisons. And so they're responsible for providing updates on the team day to day to all the MLB scouts, um, providing roster info, different things like that on both teams. Um, and obviously for each organization, they sort of have differing responsibilities, but the main is just to serve as an, an intermediary between the MLB organizations and the, um, the summer league organizations. So, um, it was a, definitely a really great experience. I, I learned a lot. Um, we had a great team that year. We had three first round draft picks on the team and Nick Senzel, Jordan Shatfield and Will Smith and, um, had numerous other phenomenal prospects on that team. So, uh, it was definitely a great year to be uh, on the Cape. Kyle Lewis was one we saw a lot. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck was another player that uh, played on Orleans. I mean, it was just a very, de- very talented year on the Cape as it, as it usually is. So it was definitely a great experience just to train my, my scouting eye and um, talk with scouts and network with them and just pick their brains on what they're looking for in players. It was definitely a, a really great experience. That's awesome. Do you have, do you have like any like funny cape stories or anything like that? Like obviously PG appropriate, but do you have like any like funny cape stories or anything like that? Um, Pete, wait one sec. Pete, this is our podcast. It doesn't have to be PG appropriate. What's your best story, Justin? <laughs> My best story from the cape. Hmm, let me try to think. While Justin thinks, just a fun fact. Um, did you know Mike Stud used to pitch on the cape once upon a time? Really. Yeah, I th- he, okay. he pitched on the Cape um, the same time Chris Sale was down there. And now Chris Sale is the best baseball. I'm going to a Mike Stud concert in, the, in like a month. That is actually kind of hilarious. There we go. How, like, how filthy was Chris Sale on the Cape? I can just only imagine this guy. I mean, not that filthy because he gave up a dinger to uh, Jacob DeGrom in college. Well, that's also Jacob Degrom. We're talking about a god of all gods. That is very true, but like, I didn't. I think Jacob Degrom only had one home run in college ball, and it just happened to be against Chris Sale, who's just nasty. I feel like that's resume worthy, though. Like, I feel like if his career ended in college right there, I feel like that just in general deserves at least some space on his resume that he's handing to potential employers. I hit a home run off Chris Sale. If you don't know who he is, wait about five years. You'll you'll see how amazing I am. Exactly, and like fifty years from now, he tells his grandkids that I hit a hit a home run against Chris Sale in like the World Series. Yeah, cool. yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Justin, what you got? Yeah, so I mean, I have a couple of different stories. Um, one of my favorite ones that I tell a lot is when uh, we had obviously Jordan, uh, yeah, Jordan Sheffield, who ended up being a first round pick from Danny. All the scouts knew who he was, and. Then we had another pitcher, Tyson Miller, from a small D2 school called Cal Baptist. And none of the scouts had heard of him. They were all like, who is this player? Because he's throwing 93, 95, 6'3", right-handed pitcher. And he went from being unknown to being drafted in the fifth round um, or fourth round by the Cubs. So that was that's always a good story that I like to tell. And then another one was uh, I would bring, like, huge packs of cookies uh, to eat during the game because it was just obviously each game was a long, long one. I needed a snack. So uh, some of the scouts started calling me Oreo. And uh, that's how I was known for a lot of the summer as Oreo. Um, so that was pretty funny. Um, so, yeah, I definitely I liked uh, listening to the broad, the student broadcasters. 
um, they did a great job. And um, yeah, it was, it was just a great experience. I mean, I definitely uh, really enjoyed my, my time there and enjoyed the, working with the people that I did. Mm. Um, so was this kind of like your first exposure to scouting with the Brewster White, Whitecaps? Yep. Yeah. That was my first experience with scouting and I stayed in contact with the scouts that I met there and um, did some mock scouting reports on like Nick Senzel and some of the other players and uh, sent them to the scouts to see what they thought. And um, so that's sort of how I, how I got my start in, in the scouting realm. And uh, it was definitely, definitely a great experience. It's funny because when I, all of, whenever we talk about baseball, uh, you and I always talk about like, the company, the business side, um, the company's direction, but we never really talk about like your scouting background. So what are you like as a scout? Like, what do you value? Like, are you a tools guy? Are you a natural instincts guy? Like when you watch a player, so say you're, you're with the Brewster Whitecaps and you're scouting a player, like what, what's kind of what Justin Volman looks for? Sure. So what I like to look for, um, but first, uh, before I look at a player, I like to look at plate discipline um, and control for a pitcher. Um, I want to see a, a strong um, strikeout to walk ratio on the hitting side um, and a strong uh, K to walk ratio on the pitching side as well. Um, I think that that's a really important thing, um, both on the hitting and pitching side. Um, I'm not a big fan of hitters that sell out for either a walk, a strikeout, or a home run. Um, I like to see strong plate discipline um, because I definitely think it's a, a pretender. Um, it, it, it pretends future success in the big leagues um, to have a strong uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio while you're in high school or in college or playing in summer league because um, it shows that you can um, have uh, a strong plate discipline, which I think is something that not enough young hitters have. Um, they try to sell out, and that can lead to big holes um, in your swing. Um, so that's something that I like to look for first. I really like uh, to look for guys that have strong plate disciplines. Um, I think that that's a really important part that sometimes get over gets overlooked, especially with more and more three-outcome hitters coming out um, farther and farther um, into MLB and becoming more and more popular. Um, so that's something that I really like to look for when I'm scouting players is look for players with um, – strong plate discipline on the hitting side and then pitchers that don't walk a lot of hitters on the pitching side. A control guy. Um, so here's another question. Does size matter to you? Like when do you, do you prefer like your mammoth six, four, 220 pound pitchers or does it, does it not matter as long as they have the tools? So yeah, essentially does size matter, Justin? Yeah. And I'm, I am, I do not see, uh, talent beyond sizes. Um, I think I, I'm a big fan of diminutive second baseman. Um, we had uh, some good ones there. Not the, the year that I was, I'm, we definitely did, but one of my favorite players who's now in the, the A's farm system is Kobe Vance, who I worked with at University of Alabama, and he's 5'5 five, five on a good day, but he's built like a tank. And um, he's, uh, I really like the Dustin Pedroyas and the Altuves and the, the Kobe Vances of the world. So Yes, size I do not think matters at all in baseball um, because the ball is, is very small um, and if all you need to do is be able to hit it, so um, which is obviously easier said than done. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of diminutive second baseman and I'm always looking for players that sort of um, don't meet the traditional uh, size weight ratios that teams naturally look for in prospects. Right. Before I just throw it over to uh, Pete, since you're really into the um, – 
small second baseman. Uh, back in my day, I was a 5'8", 145-pound second baseman, and I used to make all the plays, slap the ball on the ground, run everything out, play hard like one of those good um, Canadian boys. You would have gone crazy watching me play baseball. Um, but enough talking about size because um, I don't want to get off track again. Pete, please save me right now. <laughs> I got you, bro. I got you, bro. Um, Justin, I thought this would actually be a pretty cool question to ask you since we're going to kind of transition into your experience with TrackMan after this. But um, I know now, especially with the whole StatCast revolution, and obviously all that technology has very much expanded into very high-level D1 college baseball. Um, I was just kind of curious if, like, at your time when you were with the Cape Cod, if they were using TrackMan at that point in time and how they utilized it to their players. Sure. So uh, our team, the Whitecaps, did not have TrackMan that year, but um, numerous other teams did. Um, so it was used on um, at, at the Cape League when I worked there. And then, like you guys mentioned, I'd also worked at TrackMan Baseball's corporate headquarters in Stanford, um, or one of their their headquarters, and uh, worked there. And um, they had uh, they we would clean games from the Cape Cod League. And I think the the year after I left the Cape League, all at, at the the Whitecaps got um, the TrackMan unit, and all the teams had it. So um, yeah, I think especially in TrackMan, I mean, it's just being able to track them. Um, in a different way and getting those sort of advanced analytics, especially on those smaller school players that you might not necessarily get um, during their regular season in the spring. So a lot of that uh, spin rate, uh, exit velocity, um, all those different types of statistics that TrackMan collects, I mean, are just really gives a really fascinating picture um, when you look at a player and really able to see the player beyond just their, their normal box score statistics. All right, now let's make a, a not so smooth transition over to, to the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network. Justin, where, when did this idea develop? Um, what helped you come to this idea? And what were your initial plans with this company when you were just trying to get off and running? Sure. So it actually started when I was uh, an internet track man. Um, and that was sort of the first place that I was surrounded by like-minded people like myself that thought about sports uh, in that advanced analytical way. And um, that's how I met my VP, Jason Rubenstein. And I met a lot of other really interesting people that were my fellow interns and just people that I worked alongside. So that was a really great opportunity. Um, and while at TrackMan, I was still in contact with my my contact at the Cape League and the coach that I worked with. And I was trying to figure out, we were working out ways that we could sort of help develop a uh, scouting network for summer leagues, because I think that it's just really necessary. There's really no... Um, no filtering system. It's really just coaches. If they have relationships with the teams, will send their players. Um, and so that's something I wanted to create. And so I uh, got a couple of, of my fellow TrackMan interns that were um, interested in helping me out <clears throat> with this idea. And we helped the Brewster Whitecaps a little bit, identify some players. And then I thought of expanding it to other summer leagues and to other summer league teams. And so I was at the winter meetings just just talking with people about that was my first winter meetings two years ago or three years ago now. Um, and was just talking with um, people just about the idea and people liked it. And then I just decided why not expand it to other organizations like major league teams, agencies, college teams, whatever it might be. Um, and it's really just taken off from there and taken on, on a life of its own. I mean, it's grown from, 35 scouts to 115 and now we're at 200 scouts in 11 different countries and really become an international baseball data company, which is uh, amazing to think of how, fa how far we've come and, and just these, these, fa these past three years. 
Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool to see the progression of this company over the past three years. And we're actually going to be at the MLB winter meetings this December. Uh, can you kind of speak on how this company has kind of evolved with each year. Um, I know at the beginning we started with just American scouting, then we moved up to Canada and now we're looking at high school and college players and we got an international scouting base all across the world. Uh, Can you just touch on that a little bit? Sure. So originally, like I said, we were just going to scout college players for for college summer league teams. And uh, then uh, funnily enough, you came to me, Rich, and messaged me on LinkedIn and said, have you thought about expanding into Canada? And I had not thought about expanding into Canada. Who would? Until you messaged me. So um, that was a great uh, happenstance experience. And I'm happy that we brought you on board the company and did expand into Canada because it really started us to think about the, com- the, the company um, on an international level from just a really, really early stage. Um, and so we were able to expand into Canada and further expand into the U.S. Um, rather rapidly. Um, and last year was our first full season, um, collecting thousands and thousands of data points on various players throughout the country um, and throughout Canada. And it was just a, a great experience. And Um, We expanded our domestic coverage. We obviously have established our international coverage further beyond the borders of North America to various Latin American countries, Japan, South Korea, some countries in Europe and um, some countries in South America as well. So it's definitely been a a phenomenal experience just to see uh, it come together like it has. And we're definitely really excited to continue to expand um, throughout the international realm of baseball. Um, and then in the future, we're going to look to expanding into other sports, probably soccer and basketball are the ones we're looking at most next, but uh, we want to definitely make our mark in the baseball industry and um, really find players just throughout the world and um, provide them exposures so that they can go to college or they can get drafted or signed internationally and, and make a name for themselves in, in professional baseball. Mm-hmm. That's that's freaking awesome. Um, actually, funny story. I also had the chance to meet Justin at the winter meetings. I do not know if you actually remember us having a conversation, but um, before we get into that, um, I, what I want what I wanted to actually make clear to all of our listeners and viewers is that this man is an absolute grinder. Like I remember um sitting in the PBO job fair at the winter meetings, which is a very interesting place to be for any um aspiring major league front office member. Um, but like, I just see this guy walking around, just handing out business cards, just grinding out his company. This is CBBSN. This is what we do. And he's doing this at every single table and he's shaking every single hand possible. And I just kind of looked at him and I said, I just kind of looked at him and just thought, you know what, if I ever get the opportunity and it ever lines up to kind of work somewhere like that, that's the kind of CEO I want to have. So like in general, like, Justin is freaking awesome. Not to absolutely kiss your butt right now, but in general, like you are an absolute grinder and that's freaking awesome. So that actually leads me to the question that I wanted to uh, ask you is like, what, what's your, what's your hitch? What's a, what's your, um, what motivates you? Like you have to work extremely hard to self build a company into what it is now. And obviously you have some very big aspirations for the future. So like to me, what's your, what's your chip on your shoulder? What, what grinds you? What, what's, what pushes you to work this hard man? Yeah. So, I mean, I just wanted to create an opportunity for, for like-minded kids like me just to get their their opportunities and their foot in the baseball industry. I mean, 
there's just so many people throughout the country and throughout the world that want to work in sports and just don't have the opportunity or aren't sure how to do it. Um, whether it's they don't have the financial means to take an unpaid internship in the summer, whether they don't have the, the necessary knowledge. And so that's something that just really drove me is I wanted to create a, a company that I could connect with people throughout the country and throughout the world and really just create that environment like I had at TrackMan um, with those other interns and just connect people throughout the country um, that think about baseball and think about sports in a different way um, and get them to bounce ideas off each other and try to create like a funnel system into Major League Baseball of not only players but, but people that are going to work in front offices someday. Um, and so that's that really it, it's exciting every year to see people go on and work for different organizations. We've had people leave us and go work for the Royals and USA Baseball and various college teams throughout the country. And we're going to have people next year go on and work for the Braves and just so many other organizations. And it's just really cool to see. Um, so that really is what I think drives me at the end of the day is um, just seeing the success that the people that I brought in and that have come into the company go on and have. I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal. I think it's a really great opportunity for, for people to get their foot in the door in baseball. And um, I think that it, it'll help, um, hopefully, the, the diversity problem that is in baseball, especially in front offices, um, because a lot of the internships that um, MLB teams will ask you to do, some of them are unpaid, some of them are for very little money, and they need you to graduate, and they need you to have XYZ experience. So I'm hoping that college students can use our service to make some extra money on the side while gaining that experience that they need to get those full-time MLB jobs or internships. And hopefully we can serve as a funnel of a more diverse um, candidate base to MLB jobs, whether it's in scouting, analytics, PR marketing, whatever it might be, um, and just further create a, a more diverse MLB because, I mean, it really should reflect the um, just the amount of skill that people have that might, they just don't get the opportunity to show um, is astounding just for whatever reason, whatever mm -hmm. geographic where they might be geographically located, what might matter what school they went to. Um, people have knowledge. And so I definitely want to see um, people go on and have success in MLB, no matter their, their race, gender, sex or sexual orientation, religion, whatever it might be. I mean, I want people just to have success in Major League Baseball and, and contribute in a positive way and be able to show their knowledge because it's not just uh, white men like me that know everything about baseball. There's so many people all throughout the country and throughout the world that have a lot to contribute to the, the game of baseball and just aren't necessarily um, don't have the opportunities to, to show what they can do. Wow. Uh, you actually kind of answered the, the question I was going to ask you, but after what Pete just said, you can't possibly fire him now like if you ever wanted to fire him after all that ass kissing you, you just got to give him another chance uh good for you pete you just saved your job but um actually, I sorry richard to, to interrupt you for a sec pete uh, to go back to something you said i actually do remember sitting at that table with the bowling green students i don't remember you specifically but i remember talking to a group of bowling green students at that winter meetings and one funny story i do have so the PBO job fair, for those of you who don't know, is simply a scam and a money grab. Here we go. Here we go. I, I, I am, I am not a fan of it at all, but uh, that year was my first term meetings, and I thought, well, I'm going to take advantage of it. These are job seekers that are probably interested in working for a company like mine as we get off the ground. And so I did not have a job posting. I had nothing. I literally went typed something up on my computer, went to the, the local FedEx office that was in the hotel convention center, printed something out, 
and just put it up on their little tack board that they have. Um, and uh, I did that three times. Each of the days, they took it down. And then the third time, they actually called me and they said, you're not allowed to do that anymore. You're, you're, you're going to get in trouble if you, if you put up another job posting. And so it was funny because some of the other people that I met the winter meetings were just dying that I was doing that. Um, and so that was, that was a really interesting experience. But yeah, for those of you who don't know, all the jobs that are on the PBO boards that they do, all are online and are all free to apply to. So yeah, don't waste your time with that at all. It's literally a money grab and a scam. Wait, I completely wait, agree with you. It is one Justin. of the biggest waste of time you could ever do with the winter meetings. Justin, you were soliciting at the MLB winter meetings? Hey, you guys, I was, I was soliciting bro. for job seekers. I was trying to find that is, uh, job uh, scouting people. They literally had like one baseball ops position on the on the board. And it was literally just like, you have to write down the job that you want to apply for and then fill out a paper resume, which is literally something that like people did in, in 1980 um, before the internet was started. Um, so that's obviously not necessary for today's day and age and teamwork online and all the teams have their own job opportunity websites where you can just go on and apply for free and it takes five minutes and you don't right. have to fill out a paper or resume. But yeah, so I was, uh, I, and I, one funny thing that I would do, so I was also going to, I also called a lot of professors when I was at the winter meetings and I did these calls specifically in very public places so that when I was talking with professors on the phone, other people that were looking for jobs would hear what I was saying and be like, Oh, what's that about? Like, let me know more. Like, I'm interested in working for it. So I did it in very public places in the lobbies and had my phone calls with the professors that I would call an email. Um, and that was a way that people found out about the company as well. So it was yeah. it was very uh, um, covert and very, um, I tried to just do a lot of guerrilla marketing just myself because it was still very much uh, in its infancy. So that was, uh, those, that winter meetings was definitely a very, very fun one and uh, a really great experience. And someone actually, I actually met a reporter there and I was just talking to him about what, we, what, what I was doing. And he wrote a story about the company, which was amazing. I didn't, I mean, we had just literally become an LLC, like a week before the, the winter meeting. So it was amazing that a reporter thought it was interesting enough to, to write a story on it. So um, it was just a, that first winter meeting was a great experience. And last year's was a great experience meeting with everyone in my company in person for many of them the first time. And just so excited to see what year three will hold. Mm-hmm. That yeah. like, I'm yeah, be this guy's a hustler. Yeah. I was about to say like, once again, you're calling me an ass kisser. He just completely explained why he's a freaking hustler. That's like, yeah. like, like these are just facts I'm spewing guys. Uh-huh. So like in general though, kind of transitioning a little bit. Um, Richard, I know you uh, had a little comment about uh, your little Atlanta Braves today, making some splashy moves. Oh yeah. So the Atlanta Braves are the sexiest team in baseball, in my opinion. Um, and in a year, they're going to be the sexiest team in baseball. Um, and everyone will, will recognize that. So I picked them two weeks ago to win the World Series next year. And today they made a couple of splashes. They signed Brian McCann to a, a one-year deal. And then they gave a whole bunch of money to Josh Donaldson. And it's a one-year deal as well. And I think the Josh Donaldson deal is incredible because I've, it's a one-year deal. You don't really know what's going to happen health-wise with Josh Donaldson. But, I mean, if this guy is healthy and he can play like Josh Donaldson played like a couple years ago, this team is going to be so stacked and they're going to win the World Series and I'm going to shove it down Pete Horner's throat in a year and a half. Uh, Justin, what did you think of uh, today's moves? 
Well, funnily enough, I don't know if you guys saw on Twitter, but Brian McCann actually let it slip during his press conference uh, that the that the Braves were signing uh, Donaldson before it was announced publicly. And uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but McCann said that he was really excited to to play with uh, with Donaldson. Then so, then he quickly said, "Oh, it's just something that I heard on the internet." And uh, and then <laughs> Anthropos was said like slyly said like, "Oh, I don't know what he's talking about." Um, but so I, I, this is my favorite time of the year. Um, the off season, I mean, I love the rumors and the free agency and trades and all that stuff. And that's honestly one of my favorite parts of the winter meetings. I mean, I would watch the coverage on, on MLB network year after year growing up just to see what moves teams were going to make. So to actually be there in person was phenomenal. And there's just a buzz in the air, um, every day at the winter meetings of what's going to happen next. Oh, you see that prospect at the bar. That must mean maybe they're going to get signed or traded um, or they're rushing them through the bar. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a great experience. So I'm, I'm all for the, the Braves moves. I like the moves that they're doing. I think they're a, a really strong young team. That's, that's going to grow tremendously. Um, Acuna and Albies and Camargo and um, I mean, they're, they have a, a treasure trove of young pitching prospects that if, if a, a few of them pan out, I mean, they're just going to be a, another who's powerhouse your, in the NL in the, in the East for sure. But who's yeah. your favorite pitching prospect on the Atlanta Braves, though? I mean, I just like... There's, only, like, there's only one correct answer. <laughs> my favorite. I mean, there's just so many. I mean, there's Tukey, there's uh, Kyle Wrong Wright. Wrong um, answer. Who, who's your answer, Richard? Mike Soroka. Mike Soroka, oh Mike, Soroka, Mike Soroka is a beast. I mean, there's just Dude. all their pitchers are so young and so talented. I mean, it's it's exciting to see them. Uh, Mike Soroka looks younger than Pete Horner, and he throws filth. <laughs> and he's Canadian. What are you trying to say about how young I look, Richard? <laughs> no, I, I'm just saying you're super projectable, man. I really yeah, for, for those of you that haven't seen Pete in person, he kind of looks like he's a freshman in high school, I think, or uh, maybe, maybe, maybe in eighth grade, he might be just getting his learner's permit. I'm not sure, but he does look very young. Funny story. I was actually, I've been told by a ginormous group of people. And by that, I mean a lot of people that I actually look like the second coming of Macklemore. Really? Coming of Macklemore. Oh boy. Macklemore or McLovin? No, Macklemore thrift shop. Macklemore. Uh Oh boy. I I think that's that new haircut, Pete. I can see that. (laughs) Um, but, uh, just so we don't make a Pete cry anymore. Um, (laughs) that's all for this week. Um, big thank you, uh, for our special guest, Justin Volman. Um, another big thank you to Ryan Bronson for our intro and outro music. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at I am underscore Ryan Bronson. Go check out his new album, Illuminate. Good week, Pete. We'll be back next week. Peace. Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah. Thank you, Justin, for being on and thank you all for listening. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. And don't forget to check out at CB Scouting Net on Twitter and all social media. And you guys can follow me at, at Justin Volman. So very easy to remember. But really appreciate you guys having me on and uh, really excited to, to listen in uh, on future weeks. Awesome. We'll be back next week, guys. Have a good week, y'all. Uh, I can feel the energy. I'm getting a lot of shade from my I can fuck with nobody that's too